Uh, please turn with me into your copies of the New Testament into Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to talk about uh, the entire chapter, but we're going to emphasize on verses 19 and the continuation to that. So let's read on Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> and we will explain other texts later. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Thus says the Lord, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But, verse 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this community that we love, Cornerstone Bible Church. Thank you for all those years that you have preserved this beloved church. And now we ask you that you inform our minds that you bend our wills, and that you change our hearts through the gospel. And that's in the name of Jesus Christ that we ask you. Amen. Amen. So a few years after the churches here in the region of Galatia uh, were founded by the Apostle Paul, some Jewish teachers introduced a false concept. These Judaizers, as we call them, were saying that Paul was not a real apostle because he wasn't even with the 12 disciples. And they said that Paul was not preaching a complete message because he was not accepting the law of Moses, they said, in order to be accepted by God. In chapters then 1 and 2 of this letter, Paul defended his apostleship 
and explained that the message of the gospel did not come from men, but his message comes from Jesus Christ. Paul was astonished that the Galatians were believing a different gospel. So the difference between the Judaizers and Paul was on how can, be, how can a person be accepted by God? Like if you ask the Judaizers, hey, how can I be accepted from God? They would say an order of steps that is totally different from the orders that Paul was preaching. So the Judaizers were saying, okay, if you want to be accepted by God, first you need to believe in Jesus. And we say, amen, that's great, that's the first step. And then they said, secondly, you need to obey the law the best you can. And then, third, you may be accepted by God. So the order sounds logic, isn't it? It's like, it's like, a, it's like a, okay, you believe in Jesus, you obey the law as much as you can, and then you will be accepted by God. But Paul says, no, that's not the order. The order is, we agree in the first place, believe in Jesus. Because even the scripture says, um, Paul here, Abraham believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. So yes, the first step is believe in Jesus. But then Paul says, secondly, you are already accepted by God. Because Abraham believed, and it was counted as righteousness. And he was not even circumcised. And third, now you are free to obey out of love. And he says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the Judaizers acknowledged that salvation comes by faith in Christ. But then they said that after you believe in Christ, you should observe the law. That, I mean, you, you should observe the law to sanctify yourself, to be right with God. They wrongly believe that the law is able to sanctify you. But that's wrong. The false teachers were implying that God's love and acceptance depends on us and what we do. And Paul was teaching that, no, 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 God's love and acceptance depends on God and what he has done for us in Jesus. So Paul explains here in the beginning of chapter 3 that both justification and sanctification are the work of the Spirit and not of the law. Take a look, please, with me. This is a Bible church, and I know that you guys are very, you know, into the Bible. So let's dig in. Let's go to chapter 3 in verse 2 and 3, and let's read there. <clears throat> Paul says, verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, 
the Galatians wrongly believed that they were able to sanctify themselves by keeping the law, to be accepted by God. But Paul explains, even in verse 11, that both our justification and sanctification are things that the Spirit does in the believers, and the believers just receive that by faith. Let's please read on verses 11 and 12. Galatians 3.11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So the challenge here is that the law can change Change your behavior, but the law cannot change your heart. The law can describe how holy and how uh, pious a life should look like, but the law cannot make you holy. The law can describe how righteousness and holiness look like, but it cannot make you righteous or holy. And Paul develops a compelling argument in verses 10 through 14. He is basically saying, you cannot do the law. Even if you try more and try harder, look into the law and look into your abilities, the will, all that, that will ultimately fail you because the law demands for perfection. And you're not perfect. And if you don't keep it perfectly, then you are, according to the law, under condemnation. Paul says that those who depend on the law are under a curse. Sincerity won't help. Seriousness about doing your best efforts won't be sufficient. What you do or how you do it, trying harder won't be enough because you will fall short of the standard that the law demands. And the Bible says that the reason is because you are fundamentally flawed. You are a sinner in yourself. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So our best works are just filthy rags. But you might think, well, if I try my best and I do as much as I can, even when I am not perfect, maybe God will take all of those efforts into consideration, right? And he will accept, him, accept me. And he will love me because all the hard work I'm putting into this. But the problem is, the bad news is, that if you go that path, you are under condemnation. Because strong effort is not what God requires. You know what the law requires? Perfection. So to explain what the scripture says, Paul goes back to Genesis to show us that the Lord has always saved according to his promise and not according to performance. Paul is showing that what he is teaching is not new, but it's the same message given to Abraham and the prophets in the scripture of the Old Testament. 
But the false teachers were saying that even if God started with Abraham by the promise, not now it, 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 it's like it evolved beyond promise to now performance. It evolved from God's promise has done for you into something more important, what you must do for him. And this is so familiar today that I believe that if Paul was writing a letter to America, it was writing this letter. It is exactly the same thing. We are human beings wired up this way. We are fallen creatures trying to save ourselves. The same happened in the Garden of Eden. The same happened when Cain wanted to please God with his own produce. The same happened with Aristotle, who said that you are what you do. So, and people now want to identify, uh, haven't you seen that question is very common, like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an engineer. Oh, engineer. You know, and we try to decorate what we do, because we believe unconsciously that I am what I do. But that's false. That's been the story of humanity. We want to define our identity in terms of what we do. We want to define our identity in terms of what my self-salvation projects are. But we want to validate our existence based on what we do. And what Paul is teaching here is that your identity is not what you do by keeping the law. But your identity is what God says you are by faith in his promise. Therefore, the title of this message today is Your Identity According to the Law and the Gospel. That's the title of the message today. Your Identity According to the Law and According to the Gospel. And the main idea here for today is that God uses his word of the law to show us our sinful condition. And he uses his word of the gospel to show us our new identity as children of God who are set free through Jesus Christ by the spirit of adoption. So let's see those, uh, that idea in three headings. First, we're going to see the purpose of the law, according to the text in Galatians 3. The purpose of the law. Second, we are going to see the promise of the gospel. And third, we're going to see in the text your identity according to the law and the gospel. So let's see immediately the first heading, the purpose of the law. Look at Genesis 3.19 again. I mean, Galatians 3.19 again. Paul asks, you would ask, right? He's telling the Judaizers, why then the law? So the false teachers were saying that 430 years after Abraham received the promise, when Moses received the law, the false teachers claimed, the law became more important than the promise. But Paul explained to the Galatians that the arrival of the law of Moses 
430 years after the promise to Abraham does not nullify the promise because once God makes a promise and ratifies it, it cannot be altered or broken. So they asked, well, if that is true, then what was the purpose of the law? They asked, if the arrival of the law did not cancel or improve upon the promise that was made 430 years earlier, then what's the purpose of it? Why did God give it? If the promise was the real thing, then why do we even need the law? And the only explanation the false teacher had was that the law replaced the promise. And the first answer Paul declares here is that the law was given to show us our sin. That's the purpose of the law. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, Paul says in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. Now, let me explain this terminology. In verse 19, Paul first says that something is added, that the law was added as a supplement to show us our sin. The law was added as something subordinate to the promise of the covenant. And the original Greek words for the law being added literally means to bring about a knowledge of sin or to point out transgressions. The law was added, Paul says, because of transgressions. And this term, transgression, is used for a very good reason. Because this Greek word, parabasis, literally means stepping over the boundaries. The Greek dictionary defines the word parabasis as the action of going beyond or overstepping some moral boundary or limit, transgressing the boundaries, a deviation from a standard, or neglecting an obligation. Thus, the phrase that the law was added because of transgression in verse 19 means that the law was given to bring about a knowledge of sin. And Paul said the same thing in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law was given to bring about a consciousness of sin for men who are unconscious of their own sinfulness. The dark nature of sin that we have makes us that not knowing about the sin. There are boundaries that we cannot see because our perspective is so clouded. And that's why Martin Luther took this concept from Augustine of Hippo. And he said, Luther said, that man is incurvatus in se ipsum. In other words, that man is curved in on himself. 
we are curved in our own things. And Paul says that the purpose of the law was to remove that ignorance by clearly setting forth our boundaries and showing us where we were wrong. Paul explained that so clearly in Romans 7, 7, where he said, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? And he said, By no means. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The problem is not the law. Do you know what is the problem? What is it? I am the problem, right? I am the problem. The law is good, but I am the evil one. So Paul says in Romans 7, 7, Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So what is Paul's argument in Galatians? The point here is that because of my sinful nature, I don't even realize how bad I am. So Paul is saying that the law removes ignorance. And that applies to all of us. We believe we are not that bad because we come to church. We read the Bible. So we do some community work. And um, we give offerings to the needy. But when we listen to God's law saying, you shall not covet, then we suddenly start to see the idols in our hearts. So again, the difference between the false teachers and Paul is that the false teachers said that the law has been given to show us the way to salvation. Whereas Paul said that the law was added to show us the need of salvation. Therefore, the main function of the law, according to the Apostle Paul in this text, in this letter, is to show us the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the beauty of God, the goodwill of the Lord, in light of which we see our unrighteousness, our own holiness, our spiritual crookedness, and our slaved and our slaveness that we will break the law of God. So God gave the law to show the sin we deny. God added the law to the promise because of transgressions to show the sinfulness in your heart. You ignore and deny, and then we now have to run to Christ. So the law is unforgiving. The law has only one verdict for you. Guilty as charged. And because you are guilty, the law sends you to jail. That's an interesting picture that he described there, like we are in prison. Look at verse 22, Galatians 3.22. He says, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Look at verse 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Paul says we were locked up prisoners. We have been imprisoned by the law 
until faith should be revealed. So this is what Paul says that the law does. The law locks us in. If you want to depend on the, on the works of the law, if you want to demonstrate your self-righteousness by keeping the law, then you will have a one-way ticket to jail. The law locks us in. It's a one-way ticket to the jail of your own insecurities and your own inabilities. The law imprisons the child who tries harder at sport to earn his father's love. The law imprisons the single lady who relentlessly works out so that someone will notice her. The law imprisons the businessman who works extra hours hoping that people can see how important he is. The law is that kind of thing that it is what the law does is locks you in prison of our incapacities. It confines you to a jail of your own insecurities. And you and I, that every time that we try to achieve for ourselves all the security and all of the significance and all of the value and love that we long for, and we try to keep that or to achieve that by the law, it's just, um, you know, it, it imprisoned you into a jail. And we came face to face with our own inabilities and our own insecurities. And Paul says here that it is not that the law is bad. No, the law is good and it shows your sinfulness and inability to save you from yourself. It locks you in because you cannot fulfill its perfect demands. So in this text, Paul illustrates uh, the function of the law in a theological sense. Paul calls this the pedagogical use of the, of the law. Please read with me in verse 24, where Paul says, So then the law was our guardian. Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the word guardian is the Greek word paedagogos. From which our English word pedagogue comes from. In the New Testament times a pedagogue was a person appointed to watch over a young child. To train his public behavior and keep him safe in public. The pedagogue was the tutor, the teacher, the home educator for a child to protect him from himself, to show him his mistakes, to correct him to behave externally for his own protection and for the protection of society. But here, the law as a pedagogue is teaching us Two important things. First, in the pedagogical use, the law is showing your depravity, your sinfulness. And second, in this pedagogical use, the law is pointing you to Christ. So, to the question of the Judaizers, okay, so why then the law? 
Paul answers, first, the law was given to lock you in prison until you can see your sinfulness. And second, the law is given to point you to Christ. But that only happens when you get to the end of yourself. I mean, in the meantime, when you are like the young ruler, oh yeah, I am fulfilling the law. You don't get it. You need to get to the end of yourself. When you lose your job, when you lose your reputation, when you lose your money, the only important thing in the world is God. But we don't know that until the only thing we have is God. You need to lose everything. And that is what happens here. So check out, check out again, please, in verse 24. It says in verse 24, So then the law was our guardian, our pedagogue, our tutor, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, Paul is saying that God never intended to justify us by keeping the law. But the intention was to justify us by faith in Christ, who is the one who kept the law on your behalf. So after the law shows our sinfulness, we realize that we are not as good as we thought. We realize that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And then we end up at the bottom of ourselves asking, how then can I attend or how then can I attain the righteousness that the law demands? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? At that point, the law has done its job, and it cannot give us life, but it will point us, it would point us to Christ. And that takes, her, takes us to our second heading to see the promise of God revealed in the gospel. So we already saw the purpose of the law first, and it was revealing transgression and pointing us to Christ. Let's see the second heading now, the promise of of the gospel. So in verse 18, Paul said that the inheritance to Abraham comes by promise and not by the law. God made a covenant of salvation. A covenant is a promise secured by oath. It is not a contract. This is important. God's covenant was not a bilateral contract. No. A promise is this, in this context, is not an agreement between two people, two parties. And that's the contrast that Paul is making in verse 20 when he says, Now, look at verse 20. An intermediary implies more than one. Of course, if you have an intermediator, it's because you are intermediating between two people, right? But then he says, but God is one. In other words, when we have an intermediary, it's because we have two parties involved. Every party has some duties, some rights. But in this case, God's covenant is not bilateral. It's unilateral. He has one who is the intermediary and the executor of the covenant, 
Because this is not a contract between two parties, but a testament to give you an inheritance. Let me explain. That's, that's the good news. Prepare for the good news now. God made a covenant within himself in eternity. God's covenant is called testament. Why? That's why we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And why? Because the word testament is better to describe the kind of covenant, the kind of promise that God made to himself to save his people to be their people, to save their chi his children to be their people. So God made a covenant that the way a father makes a last will. This is good news. So God made this covenant as a testament for his children. This is his testament to give his children an inheritance. For example, if your father writes a last will before he is passing, right? That's not a contract in which you have several clauses to fulfill. Otherwise, the contract will be void. No. The last will or testament is documented so that the children will receive the inheritance right after the death of their father. That's his last will. But this is important. An heir, like an inheritor, doesn't work as a contract with his father. He doesn't work so for many hours a week to generate a paycheck. The, the heirs will receive their inheritance not because they earned it, not because they worked for it, not because they are worth, but because it was promised by the Father. Well, that is exactly what happens with us as heirs of the promise of God. The will, Paul says here, has been legally executed with the death of Christ so that all his righteous obedience secures for us the inheritance that we didn't earn and we could never, I mean, achieve by ourselves. According to Hebrews 9, Jesus died as the testator. He died as the one who made the last will so that we received the inheritance as heirs of God. What is the promise of the gospel then? That Jesus died for your sins to secure your inheritance with God in heaven. So in a way, the announcement of the promise of the gospel in this pulpit every week is the reading of the will for you. This is important. Every week when the gospel is preached here in this pulpit, what they are doing is the reading of the will for you. It's a, it's a constant reminder of what someone else has earned for you. 
That's the job of the preacher. To read the last will. God's last will is the promise. Is the new testament. The good news in Galatians 3.27. Read verse 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. Now God sees you perfect and holy in Christ. And he tells you. You are my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. But if you think that you will receive God's blessing according to the works of the law, that would be foolish like the Galatians who thought that they could perfect themselves by the flesh instead of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you're a Christian, every time you hear the gospel... You are listening to God's testament for you as an heir of the promise. Preaching the gospel is the reading of God's last will and testament to unworthy sinners like you and me. So with that, let's see the third heading. Your identity according to the law and the gospel. So... Let's review on the law. According to the law, what identity does the law give you? Well, the first identity that the law gives you is sinner. That's your identity according to the law. The law's verdict is that you are a sinner. The law demands and tells me how to behave. While I try to do my best, it is evident how sinful I am. The writer, very famous writer, you know, C.S. Lewis, said this phrase that I love. He says, quote, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Do you want to know how bad you are? Try to be good. You will see how bad you are. The law gives you the identity of sinner because the only thing you do with the law is to break it. Because you are sinful. If you believe that you have obeyed God's law for one single moment. In the way the law is demanding you for perfection. You are deceiving yourself. Even your best works are tainted with the sin indwelling in your flesh. And the apostle John speaking to Christians. He said. In 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the law always accuses you because you are always sinning. You cannot keep the law perfectly in yourself for a single moment. Therefore, if you want to be under the law, the demand of the law is perfection. And since you are imperfect, the identity the law gives you is a slave, a prisoner of your own inabilities, a lawbreaker, a transgressor, a sinner. That's what you are according to the law. On the other hand, this is the good news, what identity does the promise give you when you believe? What identity does the promise give you? Well, according to the gospel, as a result of Jesus' perfect work on behalf of sinners, 
he declares sinners to be sons and daughters of God. All the privileges, all the riches, all the security, all the righteousness you need, you have it already in Christ. That's why Paul is astonished with the Galatians and he is asking, why would you go back? Having begun by the Spirit, are you going back to the law to being perfected by the flesh? You are receiving the inheritance of perfect righteousness. So you are now loved by God. Why do you want to prove yourself like trying to look worthy before God in your own strength? You are not worthy in yourself, but you are worthy only because you have been baptized into Christ. And because you are in Christ now, God the Father says, you are my beloved child in whom I am pleased. So the law gives you the identity of a sinner, whereas the gospel declares you are holy and righteous in Christ. The law makes demands and tells us to behave. The gospel brings promises and tells us to believe. The law says, do this, and nothing is ever done. The gospel says, believe in him, and everything is already done. The law shows the sin of the world, but it cannot prevent those. The gospel proclaims forgiveness of sin under the promise that in Christ, there is no longer any more sin. The law brings the wrath of God. The gospel proclaims peace with God. The law always accuses me because it is the ministry of condemnation. The gospel always acquits me because it is the ministry of justification. The law curses me because I do not obey it perfectly. But the gospel announces that Christ came because uh, Christ came, became a curse for me. And he to be to transform me in a blessing. The end of the law is to point us to Christ, but the end of the gospel is to bring Christ to us. So all the love, all the affection, all the acceptance, all the purpose, the value, the sense of worth, and all those things that you and I are longing for all the time and that we look in the wrong places, we are looking in the, in the creatures and not in the creator, all of those are yours already in Christ right now. You are free in him. You are free from our own definition of success. You are free from slavery. And by faith in Christ, we can enjoy if we have that we have him today. We are now sons and daughters of God. So it doesn't matter if you have fallen. It doesn't matter if you have been an addict. It doesn't matter if you have been an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you have been divorced or if your parents abandoned you. It doesn't matter if you have felt shame, guilt, and blame. It doesn't matter if you are an employee or an employer, a man or a woman, or if you are a carnivore or a vegetarian. It doesn't matter. 
all that matters now is to listen to the word of Christ, the gospel, the good news of the promise, calling you today to remember your identity. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, I have good news for you. Christ is calling sinners like you and me to rest in him. The word of Christ says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord is calling you. If you are here today, he's calling you and saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're a Christian and you consider yourself a Christian, you still need to listen to the gospel to remember your identity that the gospel proclaims for you in Christ. Remember who you are. In Christ, you are a child of God. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And Paul says, and if a son, then you are an heir of the promise. Paul says in Galatians 4, 5, that Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, crying, Abba, Father. Paul says the same in Romans 8, 15, that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So in conclusion, and thank you for being so patient with me today, God uses his word of the law to show us our sinful condition. And he uses his word of the gospel to show us our new identity as children of God and who are set free through Jesus Christ by the spirit of adoption. Therefore, we must listen to both words, law and and gospel. We need the law to understand what we must do for God. And we need the gospel to believe what God has done for us in Christ. Christian growth, brothers and sisters, is not about I'm becoming stronger and stronger and more and more competent in myself. No. Christian growth is actually realizing that I am becoming more aware of how weak and incompetent I am and how strong and competent Jesus continues to be for me. That's what the law and the gospel do for us. The law shows you God's will. It shows your sin and it points you to Christ. And the gospel shows you God's testament to give you Christ and his spirit of adoption to become children and heirs of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the, patient of, uh, the patience of these brothers and sisters listening carefully to the law and the gospel, your two words here in the Bible. We pray that the Spirit, your Spirit, continues working that word that has been planted in their hearts so that the word will comfort them during the week 
and even for the years to come, that this word will flourish in, on them and that will comfort them uh, forever. Please continue the good work that you have started in this beloved church. Bless their leaders, bless their members, and bless their visitors here to proclaim and celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask you these things in the wonderful name of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.